right, we are live. Whoop whoop. <laughs> Welcome to Wayfarers Christian Church. <laughs> Welcome to the weekly deep dive. Uh, was trying to do my best not to grunt as I sat down there. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Noah was just pointing out that last week when we started, I uh, we do these icebreaker questions at the beginning, and he asked a question, but then. Uh, he did not get a question asked of him, and I think he was a little bit offended. So we're going to remedy How that. How dare you? Uh, starting here. Um, so I've got an icebreaker question for you, Noah. Okay. Okay. What is it? It's a simple one. What? Let's assume you're coming to uh, you're coming to a dinner party at my house. Uh huh. What do you bring? Hmm. Is this like just four or is this like eight people like what you and your family do? <laughs> Let's because uh, I probably bring a casserole if it's like eight people. But like okay. if it's like just just y'all like just Adrian, uh, you and Toby, I'd probably bring something maybe like a recipe that was like gluten free for Adrian or something like that. OK. Uh, you know. Yeah, if you were to bring, if it was for eight people and you're bringing a casserole, what are you gonna? Um, I probably would do. I probably would do a. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of mushrooms, and so I'd probably do like a um, a roux based mushroom sauce with uh, parmesan and uh, rice and maybe some ground beef and throw in there and celery, onion, garlic the whole thing fresh fresh produce and all that jazz and I'd probably make up something like that and then top it off with a whole layer of uh, parmesan on top and cook it bake it in the bake it in the oven so that sounds great to yep. me <laughs> I'm getting hungry already <laughs> I, right. I, I love to cook so that's uh, if you can't tell <laughs> perfect I knew you did that's why I was like I'm curious what would you bring if you were coming over to our house alright you said you got a question from yes me. I have a question that you're going to know as soon as I ask it and you're going to hate me for asking it and this is subject to change over time maybe we'll ask this question again after a couple years of us hmm. learning but um, in your opinion over all the books you have read in biblical studies what is the most important book in the last 50 years hmm. yeah this is a uh this is a fun one. This is a question. We both listen to a podcast all the time called On Script. Shout out to On Script. Yeah. Go watch it if you really want. Like, oh, if yeah. you think like what we're doing is a deep dive, <laughs> you haven't seen nothing yet. <laughs> yeah, check out On Script. Highly recommend it. Really, really good. Um, and this is their go-to question that they always ask everybody. What's the most important book written in biblical studies in the last 50 years? So, um of the ones I have read, man, this is a good one. I, I've never thought about how I would answer that question. I've heard so many people answer it, but I have not thought about how I would personally answer it. Hmm. Um, I think Leslie Newbegin might be up there for mm-hmm. you. For me, probably. Uh, a book called um, Proper Confidence by Leslie Newbegin. Um, though, to be fair, that one's more of a philosophy theology yeah yeah it's not like a biblical studies yeah Yeah. um but yeah that's my answer okay Uh, um proper confidence by leslie newbegin um one of my professors in school recommended it to me and um in a lot of ways it really helped uh just 
I don't know, helped me help me get my head straight around what the Bible is actually presenting and um, and understanding a little bit about human beings, how human beings work and how communication works. And I don't know, this is all really abstract, but Leslie Newbegin, uh, proper confidence, really, really good. Um, he's also really British, so it's lots of fun, big words and it's very proper. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Mm, yeah, for sure. That, 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 that would be my answer. Yeah. I think Do you have an answer for that one. Yeah. 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 So I think I'm going to say the same. It's, this is not technically a biblical studies book. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's in the range of it, but, uh, I would say mine is, uh, how God became King by N.T. Wright. Um, it was the first N.T. Wright book I bought. And, uh, it was the first time I had ever been exposed to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven and the gospel told from that perspective. And Mm -hmm. that just changed my life. So I I would say like, hands down, like I was a different person after reading how God became King than before. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that, that leads really nicely into the topic we're uh, focusing on today. Segway. Yeah. We're, (laughs) we're, we're going into a little bit more in depth with the, um, the beginnings of Genesis. We started with Genesis one one in the sermon on Sunday, mm-hmm. and I focused a lot on uh, the importance of uh, understanding how the Bible explains heaven and earth, and about God's um, plan from the beginning is to bring those two realms together. Mm-hmm. You know, bring heaven and earth together. Um, and that also for me was something that I first encountered reading. Uh, books by N.T. Wright. Mm. And um, it was there was a particular time in my life, I was still working at Avenue Coffee, the coffee shop we both used to work at. And um, it, was a, it was a difficult time in my life at this point in time, because I was starting to have a lot of uh, doubts about my faith, a lot of like questions about whether, um, just about Christianity, about the existence of God, you know, all that yeah. stuff. Um, which was difficult because Avenue Coffee was like a, a ministry and we were supposed to be there to like reach out to hmm. minister to other people. But I was kind of already starting to like question things and doubt. And I was just like, man, I don't know how I can like minister to other people when I am having a lot of these questions myself. Hmm. And um, uh, I'm, I'm very thankful that I found N.T. Wright during that time because reading some of what he was saying really helped me. Uh understand i guess i would say how the bible was uh what it was actually trying to say you yeah know? because i had been raised to read the bible in a very particular way and um genesis was one of the big rubs for me although you know it has as it has been for a lot of people i i was having a lot of questions about genesis a lot of um, difficulties really trying to understand it and really a lot of difficulties trying coming to a place where I could honestly say, yeah, yeah, I believe that that is how like the beginnings of the earth happened and you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm somebody that's always been pretty, uh, like a science nerd kind of guy. Mm. And I remember I, um, you know, from like the time I was five years old, my favorite TV show was like Bill Nye, the science guy mm. and like magic school bus. And, um, I just loved all of those scientific textbooks in school. I was like a big science guy. Science was like my best section on the um, ACT and different things like that. So, you know, I just, I loved that. And the more I learned about certain scientific discoveries, the more I was having difficulty believing Genesis as like a a creation narrative. Hmm. And I remember 
uh it's weird we used to have this like chicken salad sandwich at the coffee shop I don't yeah know if you remember. yeah oh i definitely and remember would, the chicken salad sandwich i've made enough of it these, these, <laughs> we had to mix up like these giant bowls of chicken salad like so much mayo so much mayo. giant bowls of chicken salad like so much mayo so much mayo so much mayo. <laughs> like just ungodly poor becca poor becca and so we had just this huge bowl that we were mixing up chicken salad in and um some other people working out front so i'm in the back kitchen mixing up this just ridiculous amount of chicken salad and i had uh, my headphones in and i was just listening to a podcast and i had tried to look one up on genesis a little bit because i had some of these questions and i was trying to get some answers and um i found this one particular podcast where they were talking about it a little bit and um in the podcast they just start mentioning uh the similarities that there are between how Genesis describes the beginnings of the world and the Babylonian creation stories and, and how the Babylonian people described the creations of the world. And they were just kind of drawing these lines, connecting points of, of similarity between the Genesis story and between the Babylonian creation story. And the reason I think I remember this so bad is because that was like terrifying. I remember when I first read that, uh, I was already kind of in a bad place, already like questioning a lot of things. Um, and I, <laughs> it was just this weird moment where I remember just being like, oh no, I don't know what to believe about all of this mm. now. I'm really questioning a lot of this. I've got chicken salad all over my hands. I don't, to, <laughs> I don't know what to think about creation or the beginning of the world. And I don't know whether to believe the Bible and all this kind of stuff. And did you talk to anyone about this or was this all just, this was all super internal. Okay. So you didn't even talk to your dad about this or any, anything like that. I did actually. Okay. This is the thing, but later. So what I did is I just kind of internalized it, which was terrible. And I just internalized all of my like difficulties and fears and doubts, which I would tell you all, don't do that. (laughs) Go talk to people, especially (laughs) people in your church. Um, I, uh, spent a few months just questioning a lot of that. And then, finally did go and talk to my dad about it. Um, my dad is also a preacher. He's also been a minister for a long time. And so, uh, I kind of brought it up and, um, <laughs> it was this super surprising thing where he was just like, Oh yeah, I know that. And I was <laughs> not expecting like, that at all. Like I, I thought I was worried that I was going to like rock his world too. Once I started telling him all of these similarities between the two stories, um, cause like if we haven't covered already, part of the reason it's, it's difficult is because historically the Babylonian stories are older. Like yeah. they're, they're from more ancient documents. So according to the dating that yeah, may or may not, we don't right. know, but yeah. Right. <laughs> so my, my fear was that like these Babylonian stories were first and then the, the Israelites just kind of like copied them. And, 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 you know, I was brought up to believe the Bible was um, absolutely just directly the word of God, you know, just came directly from God to, mm-hmm. to Moses. And he just wrote down exactly what God told him to write down. And, and so it was hard for us. It was just difficult in that moment. I didn't know what to think about any of that. And I just remember being so surprised because I like very cautiously start telling my dad about it. And he's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. I remember that. We, he said, I learned about that like 20 years ago in seminary. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so um, he was uh, very helpful in that time. And he was able to kind of explain to me that um, that 
this didn't have to rock my world as much as I thought it it would. Um, and he kind of gave me some some interesting ways to think about it. And I covered a little bit of them in the sermon, but but the basic way that I've understood it a lot is that um, what the early Israelites were doing is or what's being done in the Bible. What you see being done at the beginning of Genesis is um, a a sort of commentary on that original, uh, the, the way that they had understood the world to be created. They were, they were kind of riffing on that, commenting on that, basing it on what they already kind of understood about the world, the stories they may have already heard, um, from these Babylonian creation stories or other stories similar. Um, but they were showing them that they're, there are some key differences. And that was the big thing that my dad told me to focus on. He said, don't focus on the similarities uh, between the stories, but notice the, the areas where they're different. Where, where are the stories um, different? Where do they differ a little bit? And when you look at the differences, you kind of start to understand what is the purpose or the um, intention behind these these particular verses in Genesis, because what I tried to say in the sermon on Sunday was that um, there's like a there's a particular audience in mind to every passage of the Bible. Every verse of the Bible is written to a particular group of people. Mm. You know, you can tell that even just I didn't mention this on Sunday, but even just the language that it's written in proves to you that there's a particular culture people in mind so so genesis one and following is written in hebrew because it's written to the hebrew people to the israelites that's that's the culture that's in uh in mind when this this passage is being written specifically the ancient israelites from that era and um i think lots of times we like to think that the bible just descended from heaven like just (laughs) <laughs> leather bound uh <laughs> perfectly leather bound exactly like this with with all of the verses exactly in place and it was in 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 king james english because that's that's the true bible is you know that's how everybody treats it lots of times and um and so we forget that there's like original languages original audiences lots of lots of those kinds of things that were in mind uh, with the Bible and the way we get meaning out of it in our day and age is that we're like, we're like listening in on this conversation that's happening between God and very specific groups of people at very specific points in time. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes the issue we have with Genesis is that I think we think that, uh, it is directed at us, that God was, was speaking to us when he wrote these when he said these words, when, when these things kind of came, came through. And so we read a lot of the words in Genesis and we think of them from our own point of view, from our own worldview, mm. from our own context. And, um, and I think that's where we get into a lot of issues when it comes to Genesis. We, we, we are, we are defining and interpreting the words from our own point of view. And what I've discovered is that when we, uh, understand that it is being directed at these particular groups of people, these Israelite people, we, uh, we can, as we overhear and as we pay attention to the, to the conversation that's happening there between God and this particular group of people, um, that's where I have found that I find more 
uh, enlightening things, more things that are just really, really uh, encouraging to me. And I feel like I start to see the purposes of those books a lot better. Yeah, and and it's one of those things where you know your big point in your sermon was that the Bible's not written to you; it's written for you, right? And if you think that the Bible is written to you, you're going to have certain expectations of it as you would any other type of book that was written to you in our time. So like you will, you'll have a viewpoint in which the way that it was written should be like a history book, maybe even, you know, like it be like something that, uh, is very linear, very, uh, the, the first book and all the way to the uh, last book is going to be the time frame. It's it's going to start from the oldest point and then yeah. move to the newest point. Um, and so it's going to give you, we, the, the difficulty is when we start thinking it's written directly to us, we, we think in our terms. Right. And so just as an example, what I, what I spoke about on Sunday was that we had, we define the words heaven and the words earth in very particular ways in our culture today. You know, Earth is the the physical rock planet that we live on that's floating through space. That's what we call Earth. Mm. Heaven is this, like, spiritual world that we see in movies with clouds and harps and golden gates and people in robes. So those two words, we define that way from our culture. But my whole point was that that's not what those words meant to the Israelites because they didn't know that the earth was a big planet floating through space. They had never mm-hmm. been to space. They had no concept of any of that kind of stuff. And then my biggest point, especially is that their view of heaven was not that sort of floating in the clouds thing that a lot of us think about. I I've mentioned in several sermons already at this point, that that, that view is, is from the Greeks. That's, that's Mount Olympus. That's Greek mythology. That's just kind of made its way mm-hmm. into our Western culture. And so that's what, uh, that's what that view is. So rather than just reading the words and saying, God created the heavens and the earth and understanding it the way we would understand those words, I want to understand that he is speaking to the ancient Israelites. So I need to understand those words the way that they did. Hmm. And that's actually in a weird way where this Babylonian creation story ended up really, really helping it. Um, it has allowed me and helped me to understand those words the way that they explain it. Hmm. So, for example, I just, uh, I don't want to ramble on too much about no, no, it, you're good. Um, but I've got, I found this really great article that just kind of quickly explained a little bit about what I'm, what we're talking about today. And I just wanted to read a couple paragraphs from it for you. I Go think it'll it. sum it up better than we can, but it says here, uh, in the middle of the 19th century, archaeologists were digging in the li- library of King Ashurbanipal. <laughs> I'm going to say, uh, we're just going to power I think, through I think it. you did a pretty good job of that. Ash- Ashurbanipal, in the ancient city of Nineveh. They discovered thousands of clay tablets written in a language that came to be known as Akkadian, which is a distant and much older cousin to Hebrew. Mm-hmm. These tablets contained things like laws, administrative matters, and literature. It was like unearthing a time capsule to see what life was like in the ancient Near East 3,000 to 4,000 years ago. But it was the religious texts found there that got the most attention. One of those texts bore striking similarities to Genesis 1. How people viewed Genesis would never be the same again. 
Found among the, ru- the ruins was a Babylonian creation story referred to today as Enuma Elish. It is a story about a highly dysfunctional divine family engaged in a major power struggle at the dawn of time. The heart of the story is where the god Marduk kills his nemesis Tiamat and then fillets her body in two, making the skies, the heavens, out of one half, and the earth out of the other. Thus, Marduk claims the throne as the high god in the pantheon of all these gods. Scholars have turned Enuma Elish the Babylonian Genesis. The reason is that both stories share concepts that were immediately apparent, some very similar ones. And it just lists a few of them here. In both stories, matter exists when creation begins. Similar to Enuma Elish, Genesis 1 describes God ordering chaos. He, there's a chaos that's already there, and he's ordering that chaos. Darkness precedes the creative acts. So there's just darkness first, and then creation in both stories. In Enuma Elish, the symbol of chaos is the goddess Tiamat, who personifies the sea. And Genesis refers to the deep, this word that is in Hebrew very closely connected to uh, the sea. The the Hebrew word is tihom, tahom, tahom, which is linguistically related to Tiamat. Mm. The two words share similar, like... Oh, yeah, I didn't think about that, but Uh, yeah. So the deep, the sea, Tiamat, which is... Tahom. Tahom. In both stories, light exists before the creation of the sun, moon, and stars. And in both stories, there is a division of the waters above and below, which is always this weird thing in Genesis where Mm -hmm. God divides the waters above and below with a barrier holding back the upper waters. And the sequence of creation is similar. It like follows a similar order, including the division of water, dry land, the lights, and humanity, all interestingly followed by rest, by this period of rest. Hmm. And so there's all of these similarities all the way through. And so when uh, the, the the article goes on to explain, when scholars discovered this, they started to like speculate. And they were like, oh, so the Israelites just kind of copied the, copied Babylonian. the Babylonian one and mm-hmm. you know all this kind of stuff. And... Um, again, that would be the case if you looked at only the similarities, but there are some very key differences in the way that they're explaining the beginnings of the story. And what I think is happening is not so much that, um, that the Israelites copied another story or something like that, but rather that God is using the words and the terms that they're already familiar with. (laughs) to to make the point that he's trying to make he's using you know he 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 didn't say the the outer mantle crust arose from outside of the pacific and atlantic ocean because they had no idea of what the pacific or atlantic ocean were Hmm. or what of an outer mantle crust is they don't (laughs) they they weren't familiar with any of those words so it didn't again if he's speaking to them it wouldn't have made sense for God to use terms and words that they did not understand. And so he uses terms, he uses concepts, he uses ideas that they're familiar with. And my big uh, belief lately is that what, what is, what is being told in Genesis is like a a theological truth. Mm -hmm. Um, There's something that's being revealed there about God's character who God is and um, 
and that's what that story is about it's it's less about like the specific details of how the earth came about though i think those are in there but it's it's more generally like what's the purpose of saying all of this i think the purpose of saying all of this is to just help us understand who god is because one thing i didn't touch on in the sermon is that the the very first word there it says in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth the the hebrew word there is elohim which doesn't have like a like a definite article or anything like that it's just more literally it would just be in the beginnings a god created the heavens and the earth Mm -hmm. there was a god that did this and then i think what you find in the rest of genesis it is is uh, god telling us who that god is (laughs) what is that god like Mm -hmm. and that's the big purpose i found in a lot of genesis and again, like I said, the way you find it is in the differences, not in the similarities, because there's some really key differences. One of which is that um, God does not have to create through this epic battle, like what happens in Enuma Elish, but rather he just creates by speaking. <laughs> he has this power to create in that sense. And I think it's very clearly setting up God as above any other spiritual being that would exist out there, any mm-hmm. other uh, Elohim would be the other words that they use. And so we could go into all of it. There's a lot of um, theological points that I think are being made, but that's that's one of them. Um, and you'll talk about some of those in your sermons mm-hmm. in the next couple weeks. Yeah, anyway. we're, we're going to try to cover a little bit of a few of them in each of the sermons. But you're kind of familiar with the Enuma Elish story. What You want to give us the quick summary of what actually happens in that Babylon? Yeah, story? yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, a lot of it focuses in on the battle between uh, Tiamat and the rest of the gods. Uh, most of the gods are cowards, really. They they don't really <laughs> have any uh, courage left, and Tiamat is this raging sea monster that's just destroying everything. And uh, there's one god in particular that uh, actually killed her husband in the myth, and uh, everybody goes to him to try and uh, do it again, basically, and kill mm-hmm. Tiamat. And he's like, nope, not going to do it. I'm selfish. And he has his reasons. He thinks he's not powerful enough. And uh, so it's kind of the situation where everything's like in really uh, dire straits for the gods. And they go to Marduk and ask him if he would, uh, if he would take care of Tiamat. And he gives like stipulations that like, you're going to crown me as king basically and make me ultimate creator of the universe and things if I do this. Um, And he's sort of shown throughout the story to have like all of the attributes of all the other gods sort of like in mixed into one. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's kind of like to supercharge him in the Babylonian myth as like the super God almost. Um, And so, yeah, he, he, takes Tiamat and chops her in half and like you were saying divides her up half of her body becomes the sky and half of her body becomes the sea and the land and uh yeah uh very gruesome it's a very bloody tale actually uh that's probably one of the if you if you would just say focus on the differences between the two tales Mm -hmm. one of the differences of the stories is that there's so much war up in up in the Babylonian myth and uh, uh, the gods are actually like 
very like famished hungry uh they, that's actually why they demand sacrifices according to the babylonians is that they're starving mm-hmm. and uh so you sacrifice animals so that they get fed right. um and so there's all kinds of uh uh dog eat dog kind of world right. frame in the babylonian myth right it's a struggle it's a yeah it's a struggle for and everything's uh uh, the 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 flavor of the myth is that the strongest will prevail. That's yeah. that's probably the biggest um, yeah. difference, I would yeah. say. The, the the most powerful yeah. one that kills and slaughters as many of his enemies as possible. This is the one that's going to prevail. Exactly. And so, and Marduk was the god that they the Babylonians worshipped the as like their supreme yes uh, yes god. And so they're telling this story in a way to try to make it clear why 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 worship marduk essentially right and i think what you see in the genesis story is like this kind of snarky way of saying that's kind of cute you know you guys (laughs) think that that's how things happen the real god who made all of this happen did not you know didn't even have to he just had to say it yeah and it happened and it was not this um this epic battle that was like a difficult uh, struggle. Um, it was uh, this uh, the the all powerful creator God creating by speaking. Yeah, one one of the things I'll mention just as sort of like a teaser right. is uh, Tiamat is oftentimes associated with uh, a sea monster or sea serpent, and uh, Genesis one makes a very little. Side note, in the middle of, I believe it's day five, when uh, God creates the um, uh, birds and the fish, mm-hmm. and after he creates the birds and the fish, there's just this little line in the Hebrew that's like, God also created the great sea serpents of the deep. And then it just moves on. It's just like, birds, fish, oh, when here's a sea serpent, and then we're going to move on to day six. And uh, some translations try and move away from, like, great sea serpent. They try and translate it as, like, great serpents or things right. like that. So there's there's different translations. But um, right. it's, it's uh, I think that's a little nod. Right. And so, again, it's this sort of thing, like, you guys worship this sea serpent. Right. This that's is the cute. God that created that sea serpent. <laughs> exactly, this exactly. The God that's above all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and, he, and he has had that power from the beginning. He did not have to fight to earn to right. be crowned king like Marduk did. He just is Cause the creator. Because if you read that literally, then you would think that you know God created sea serpents, you know? Uh, and that's possible. Um, but I think another element to it at least is that that verse is in there specifically for any Babylonian reader in that time period to read and be like, Oh, you're saying he created Tiamat, aren't you? You know? Um, so exactly, exactly. And so I think, um, the example I gave on Sunday was using Donald Trump's slogan for his, yeah, that was a great analogy, is, by the way. Yeah, make make, make America, America great, great again, again. Is, <laughs> is the slogan he uses all the time. And ever since he started that using that slogan, we've seen a lot of people start kind of riffing on it and changing it a little bit. We have a good friend that runs a coffee company that is uh, all about uh, helping African-American-owned uh, coffee culture kind of grow. And so he uses the phrase, 
<laughs> make coffee black again, <laughs> you know? And uh, whenever people in our culture, you know, because we're Americans and we know that that's a reference to Donald Trump, we hear that and we're like, oh, ha, ha. you know, we kind of chuckle. Right, right, right. We kind of laugh. We're like, oh, I know where that comes from. <laughs> I remember I remember hearing that one time. Um, and But then if you're a big fan of coffee culture and what he's about, then you're kind of be like, but I like this one better. I like, I like what this is about a lot more. Mm. And um, uh, I think that's what the ancient Israelites would have heard when they first heard a lot of these words. They would have been like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard of sea serpents. I've heard of the, the deep before. I've heard mm-hmm. about splitting the waters before. But I think they would have kind of chuckled to themselves when they noticed the differences in how this story was being told versus the one that they maybe had heard from their neighbors from the Babylonians right. or the Assyrians. Um, that's one of the interesting things that's come up since that discovery is that we've discovered lots of other cultures, the Egyptians and other people from that era. And a lot of them had also similar stories that had lots of similar components that are also in Genesis. Yeah, they all had sea serpents, right? Sea serpents. They all had, you know, waters being split. They all had, you know, this kind Mm. of stuff. So again, I think what God is doing is he's using the language they're familiar with to tell this story. He's using the words and the terms and the concepts that they have heard before to to tell them the story about how he is the creator God who mm. is above all of it. Right. You know, and is not um uh laid into all of it in, in the ways that um that uh some of these other gods and their other stories were. Um I just love that you know in Genesis two it describes it says now the earth was was formless and an empty void. Uh darkness was over the surface of the deep which is that word that's connected to Tiamat. And, but then again, so those are the similarities, but then there's this difference. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Hmm. And it's this just kind of like effortless, you know, uh, existing above it all kind of thing that you really see, I think a little bit there in, in what it's saying. It's saying, these other gods, they had to get mixed up in all the craziness of the, of the chaos and darkness. But here at the very beginning, you kind of get this vision of, of God, the spirit of God, just hovering over those waters. Yeah. Um, um, kind of observing it, but not yeah, that, being caught up by That it. Hebrew word actually is only used one other time in the Hebrew Bible, and it's only used uh, in relation to birds, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and... and it's this image of a bird just before it's about to drop food into the nest of its young. And hmm. it's conveying this idea. I think maybe an English translation that's a little even better than mothering. Have you ever heard of helico- uh, a helicopter mom? Yeah. That's basically what that word means. It's like helicopter momming. Hovering. <laughs> Hovering. You know, it's like that uh, that doting uh, over something in a very careful and considerate uh, way. Um, yep. Yeah, maybe helicopter mom has a negative connotation, right, but no. y- you get the idea. Right, it's like it's this there it's, to care for the child. Yeah, exactly. And that's what the Hebrew word specifically means, mm-hmm. and 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 I think that's one of again the other kind of key differences um, that uh, you can see between the original Babylonian creation story and Genesis. Because like you mentioned, in the Babylonian story, human beings are created 
or, or human beings serve this purpose of like feeding the gods. Mm-hmm. The gods are hungry and they're like, we, we need you to feed us, you know, bring us food. And so, so in the ancient world, that's, that's how the gods worked. And that's what human beings did. Human beings were like these slaves that were just existed to, to bring food to the temples, to feed the gods and to create these beautiful, elaborate homes for the gods. And you see this contrast where God describes in Genesis that he doesn't need anything from us. <laughs> you know, he's not, he's, he's like, I don't, I don't need you guys to bring me mm-hmm. food. I don't need you to, you know, instead he's described using this, this, this very, uh, uh, nurturing word, which is just that he is there to, to, you know, provide, <laughs> Uh, yeah. he's, he's the provider, the creator who, who, who life comes from specifically. He's the one that's providing life. So it's not, so the, 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 the image it gives us is of a God who doesn't need anything from us, but who instead is there is, um, is, uh, providing for us in the way that a parent would. Hmm. Um, and I think that's a very clear distinction between the, the God that is, uh, um, revealing himself in Genesis versus the gods that these uh, ancient peoples would have been familiar with. Um, he's a god who doesn't need anything from the people. Um, and I think uh, we've been so Christianized in our culture. Like our culture's just kind of got all of these Christian things that kind of flow through it that a lot of people don't even know are Christian. Um and the idea of of a god being described in as a father mm. you know we take for granted because we've heard that always from the christian perspective yeah but that nurturing father way that we are so comfortable with addressing god as was a concept that would have been unheard of mm. for that ancient peoples and i think you can see clear kind of pretty clearly here in Genesis that God is revealing himself that way. That is who he is. That is the, the kind of God that he is. So let me ask this. Um, cause I'm sure there's might be a few listeners that maybe this is new information to them, just like it was for you when, right. you, when you heard it for the first time. Uh, what would you, what would you tell your younger self? Cause I imagine you're pretty comfortable with this now, yeah. right? You know, I actually think it's really cool now yeah. because I realize all the differences and I'm realizing mm-hmm. how, what, what God's actually trying to say. Right. 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 So, so, you know, what, what would you say to someone that just found out, Oh wow. Genesis one is, has some similarities, has some similarities to the Babylonian myth. And it does mm-hmm. appear like the Ma- Babylonian myth was written mm-hmm. first. What would you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say again, uh, you have to understand, uh, take it, take it as an opportunity to remind yourself um, who the original audience that was supposed to be listening to this is mm. and understand that you are, um, you're, you're a, you're a spectator that's listening in on a conversation that's happening that has, has happened already. And, um, in general, I think that's just a good, I, I set it up on Sunday as a ground rule because I think that's just a solid ground rule that has just helped me with so many things, helps me understand the Bible so much better than I ever did before <laughs> mm. when I quit uh, feeling like it had to be 
God speaking directly to me, but rather that I was listening to the way God had talked to so many different people throughout Mm -hmm. human history. So remember that second, remember that God, um, is going to, uh, you know, he doesn't have to do this, but I think it's, it's one of the most encouraging things about God is that he uses the language that we're familiar with (laughs) to, to speak to us, you know, um, the example I've thought of a lot is um, the just I don't know the like gracious merci- merciful way that God kind of meets us where we are, um, and I, I I think about that a lot with uh, at, uh, Peter after Jesus's resurrection. Peter has denied Jesus three times. I can't imagine the headspace that Peter is in. You know, he's feeling terrible. He's feeling like he's betrayed Jesus. He's betrayed his teacher, and. Um, the, uh, there's this scene where, uh, Jesus appears to the disciples and Peter recognizes that it's Jesus and, um, Jesus comes and he has some specific things to ask of Peter and he asks him, you know, do you, he asks him this question. He said, do you love me? And he uses this very strong Greek word for for love called agape love that many of you have probably heard of. And he says, do you love me? Do you agape me? Hmm. And Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you, that I, I love you like a brother. And he says, no, Peter, do you, do you agape me? Do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I love you like a brother. And I think in that moment, Jesus recognizes he can see that, that he needs to meet Peter where he's at and help him grow towards that agape, help him grow Mm. towards that love. And so then that third time Jesus says, do you phileo me? (laughs) And he, he uses the word that Peter's been using and Peter says, yes, Lord. Yes, yes. I I love you. And I think you can see that is an aspect of God's character that he is, um, he's pulling us to greater things. I think that's what he's doing in Genesis. He's, there's there's some really incredible truths that he's trying to get them to understand about himself but he's using the the terms and the words and the stories that they're familiar with to tell that he's not going way out of left field to 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 tell them the story he's using uh the words he's using the the backstory and all of the things that they were already familiar with hmm to tell them the things he's trying to tell them about the fact that he is the creator God, the fact that he is above the fray of it all, the fact that he does not need to, the fact that he has the power to create without needing. He, that's what he's trying to tell them, but he's using the the language they're familiar with. Yeah. That. And to me, that's been one of the most encouraging things about it is just recognizing that, that that is a part of how God has revealed himself from the beginning is that he is... Uh, going to meet us where we are yeah and help pull us yeah 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 i agree i think maybe though one of the main problems that uh i know i probably would have had had i heard it like at at 17 or 18 uh would have been that i guess my idea of the bible as inspired was that everything was original to Mm -hmm. from god lightning zap to human Mm-hmm. pin to page right. you know um and so there might be a few people i wonder who hear that some of the things in genesis 1 are not mm-hmm. from god lightning zap to human to page but mm-hmm. are actually from a babylonian pen 
that then came into uh, uh, the Bible. Uh, do you, is that something you ever wrestled with? Is that something that um, you ever felt was contra- like yeah, conflicting? That was, that was what I had issue with when I mm. first discovered it. Cause that's what it felt like to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would say, I'm, I'm not trying to say that it, originated with the Babylonians mm-hmm. and that it would just, they copied it. I, I just don't think that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, most scholars don't even think that anymore. Right. They found so many other stories that are similar. It's hard to say that it originated with anybody. It's hard to say that anybody invented this. Mm. It's rather that just, these were the words and the terms and the stories that everyone in the world at that point, at that day and age knew it was like the common uh, stories, the common thread that they all kind of shared mm. together. And so God's using that common language to do that, to, to, ins- to ex- inspire kind of original, uh, truth. Um, in, in general, I think, uh, the more you read the Bible, the more that you understand that it, it is pulling from a lot of other sources from that day and age. Now, For sure. It's not, you know, all original no one had ever heard it before mm-hmm. um a perfect example is in in later in the bible you have the eye for an eye tooth for a tooth law mm-hmm. this very famous one that we've all heard of and i even remember when i was a a little kid in school learning about uh this thing called Ham- hammurabi's code mm. which is this older law code or older than genesis that has that exact same phrase in it an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth and so, again, uh, God is using the terms, the phrases, the laws, the stories that those people were already familiar with, but he's helping them uh, understand something new about it. There's, there's, right. And, and again, I really do think a lot of it centers around God himself. He is, he's explaining who he is to these people. Yeah, the example I've always found is probably the most interesting uh and there's a huge a lot of debate on this that we won't get into but uh is actually in the epistle uh, of jude and jude um taking an entire story of uh michael and the devil fighting over the body of moses which is all pulled from the book of enoch um which is not a book in your bible (laughs) um right and so it's it it's um I like to describe it as it's sort of the thing that preachers do all the time. Mm-hmm. Like I do this all the time. Like even just Sunday, I I referenced um, Captain America in the Marvel movies, mm. you know, and um, there's this, the funny thing about Captain America is he, he's, he's joined, uh, he's, he was like frozen in time. And so he just awakes again and he's really old. He's, you know, he used to be fighting in like the world wars and now he's suddenly in the 21st century mm. and he doesn't understand any of the references, you know? And so every time people make jokes, he doesn't know what it is because he's never seen those movies. He's never watched those cartoons. He's never done any of that kind of stuff. And so he's like, uh, just lost the whole time. And there's this really funny moment in the Marvel movie where somebody makes a joke and he actually understands it. He actually recognizes what they're referencing. And he just is like, I caught that reference. <laughs> I understood that. I caught that reference. And, um, 
that's uh, and I mentioned that on Sunday as a way to explain what I think is happening in Genesis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I used something that's not in the Bible. <laughs> I used a make a America Disney, great. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, I used a Marvel movie and a Marvel character to explain something that I do think is in the Bible, mm-hmm. which is that sort of way that it references itself back and forth, and then that's what I want people to do. I I used something from my own culture to teach a lesson that I think is in the Bible. Mm. And I think that's what you see the happening throughout all the Bible. I think you see God using the stories, the words, the concepts that they they were already familiar with and using those to to explain things to them. So does that mean that I need to get like a a biblical scholarship degree before I can understand the Bible then? Is that what we're saying? Or what, what, like how much did I, was I interpreting Genesis one wrongly mm-hmm. before I knew that it was based on the Babylonian no. myth? No, I don't think so. Um, cause again, nobody discovered this Babylonian myth until mm. like a hundred years. Right. Ago. Right. So it's not like we, we didn't understand it until this point, but I do start to feel like we, we understand things more fully when we learn some of this kind of stuff, we, mm. we we can understand it more fully. So maybe before we understood it, sixty percent. Now we can maybe understand it eighty percent. I feel like we're we're moving to higher levels of understanding in that way. Um, but there is this key all throughout the Bible, which is the the Spirit of God, and um, God through His Spirit is helping us to understand the words that are being spoken, and He is the one that's speaking them. It says so later on in the Bible. It says all scripture is is God breathed and that breath word has, you know, close connections to the spirit, inspired by the spirit. Hmm. And so the the cool thing is the spirit is the one who is speaking them, but he is also the one that is inhabiting all Christians. So um, you have that added benefit of having the uh, the the one who originally said the words. Hmm like working in your life to help you understand the words. And so even though we didn't have some of these stories, we've seen people pick up on this already throughout the whole Bible. There's, there's all of these awesome stories of the ancient church fathers and other people who men made a lot of these same points about God is creator. God is powerful. God, you know, they were understanding all of it and you can pick it up from little bits and pieces. I'm just encouraged that we get to understand even more of it. The more yeah, that we discover yeah. and, I also think that is the role that teachers are supposed to play in the church. So I don't think everybody has to go get a biblical studies degree to mm-hmm. understand this stuff, but it would be really helpful if at least one person in your church has a <laughs> biblical studies degree. And I think that's, I think that's what you see. I'm working the, on a teen. Exactly. <laughs> that, that's what you see being encouraged in a lot of the new Testament. It says God set out some people to be teachers and those people that he decided were going to be teachers are the ones that can then go and study the Babylonian myths and get the biblical studies degree and then give us the quick cliff notes for those of us that hate reading <laughs> thousands of page books. You know, give us the quick overview. Of Why? Them. Why? You should love it. It's, uh, it's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the role that teachers play. You know, that's the role that teachers play in the church is is um, uh doing the hard work so that we all don't have to. Mm. And I think that's really important. That's why I think it's dangerous to have this idea that we need to understand the Bible all on my own, like all for myself. I'm just by myself going to understand everything that's in the Bible. I think God intended for us to be reading it as a community of people 
as a church and each person's playing their part each person's bringing a different perspective to it and after all of that we can get closer and closer to the truth the more that we study it Hmm. so yeah that's good i i think i think i think one of the wonderful things that happened to me when I was around 18, 19, 20 was, uh, rereading all of the old Testament in one go. Um, I, uh, I was lucky enough to be in, uh, Robert's classes here at uh, mid South Christian college. And we ran through, um, Genesis through Deuteronomy in one semester. We, and then we went, uh, uh, the historical books. So that would have been Joshua all the way through Ezra and Nehemiah the second. And then we went through Psalms, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And then we went through all the prophetic books after that. Um, and I, so I guess that was two years. Uh, sorry, but I remember just my whole life. I lived and breathed the old Testament for two years, basically. And I was stunned at exactly what you're saying, how much, their culture revolved around Genesis one and, uh, this, these concepts of, um, heaven and earth. And, um, it's amazing to me how many times even the creation, um, water above water below earth, um, um, birds and fish, um, animals all pops up and just, the whole Old Testament. It's like they were looking at Genesis one and, uh, always thinking about it as they wrote every book of the Bible that came after it. Right. You know? Um, and so a lot of these stories, a lot of these points, a lot of these things get brought up in Genesis one, the mm -hmm. first chapter of Genesis. And then all throughout the Bible, they're referencing back to it over and over and over again they're yeah. making they're making a, using a lot of the same words using a lot of the same phrases using a lot of the same points and um and just for reiteration wh why do you why do you think it was such a big deal to them why was genesis 1 such a such a such an important thing well because like i said i think it's it's showing them who god is who the god is that is creating things mm -hmm. and what his purposes were from the very beginning so was his purpose to create a group of people who could feed him because he was hungry? No, that was the mm. Babylonian God's purpose. What was this God's purpose? And I mentioned it a little bit, you know, that bringing together of heaven and earth, that nurturing father who is there to provide, to kind of hover over the waters and provide the way that a mother bird was, mm. all this kind of stuff. I think Genesis is, is teaching us who God is and what his plan was. And what his plan is still currently, yeah, and um, and that's what that's what you learn from it, and so my again, like I said, my hope is that we can uh, we can feel like Captain America when he did figure that out. <laughs> like, I caught that reference. I understood that reference. <laughs> so hopefully, when we read the Old Testament, and it's in the New Testament, oh yeah, too, all over the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Um, we'll read it. We'll be like, I remember that from Genesis. I caught that reference. Yeah. And that's kind of my, uh, desire for this whole, we have um, some time. Um, did you want to pull up Psalm eight and just read Psalm eight and we can kind of show that reference thing real quick, just as kind of a teaser or whatever. Do we have time for that? Or yeah, we can do it real quick. We okay. got like five minutes okay. here. We'll just end, end on that. So, okay. Cool. Um, cool. Cool. Psalm eight. Yep. Um, is one that, that references, uh, yeah, if any of you don't know, 
uh, Psalm 8 is basically Genesis 1 in poetry form. Uh, and I, I was really excited to read it and start to realize just how close it is to Genesis 1. And so that's one of our goals here is our, our hope is to show you that it's all the way through Scripture. So yeah. you want to go ahead and read it? Yeah. So just stop me anytime you want to make a point. Okay, cool. Um, so this is Psalm 8 for the director of music, according to Giddeth, a Psalm of David. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Hey, earth. <laughs> you have set your glory in the heavens. The Whoa. Heavens, heaven and it's earth. It's almost like there's a verse that says God created the heavens and the earth. <laughs> Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Mm. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place which Genesis describes God right. setting the moon and stars. And right. Stars. He's hitting day one and uh, day four there because he's creating the heavens and then the place for the uh, the place that the sun, moon, and stars reside in is the heavens. And so right. he's hitting both those. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. Side note there. That's Elohim, not angels. That Just, word, angels, yeah. is Elohim. That's a that that's a little controversial. That, we but can go into that. The in Hebrew is Elohim there, so he made them a little lower than the Elohim. You made them rulers over the worlds, the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and animals of the wild. Day six. The birds in the sky. Day five. The fish in the sea. Day five. And all that swim the paths of the seas. Day five as well. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And so, again, what I see David seeing, seeing in this psalm is he recognizes you actually care about human beings. Mm-hmm. Who are these human beings that you actually care about? Again, that's not the view that anybody had of any of the gods. And God showed the ancient Israelites through Genesis that he's a God who who cares about them, who yeah. made them to have a certain authority and power, which is a part of his plan. But I'm going to get into that a little bit more on Sunday, explaining exactly what God's plan looked like and um, kind of, again, just taking us through a few more steps of exactly what was God's plan. So you will just have to tune in then to hear that. Um, You got anything else before we finish up? No, no, no. We did good. Cool, cool. So... Again, thanks to everybody for tuning in. Uh, Hope to see you Sunday. We're live streaming on Facebook and YouTube as usual at um, uh, Wayfarers CC on all social media. So uh, we hope to see you there as we kind of continue our series in Genesis. Bye, everybody. Take care.